Lord, thank you for time of worship. God, preparing our hearts for your word in this text. God, I thank you so much for uh, this chapter as we continue to study Joseph, uh, such an amazing character. I pray that you would teach us through his his story, his his life, God, um, that we would uh, identify with him and that we would uh, we would learn from him. Ultimately, uh, we know God that you 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 teach us about people um, to teach us more about you. So I pray that we would learn about you tonight. Pray for your spirit to stir hearts, um, mine, theirs, everyone's, or that we would be inspired by you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you ever have seasons of your life where you feel like you're doing everything right, but God keeps throwing trials your way? It's like, I'm doing everything. I'm, I'm praying. Kind of talked about this last time. I'm praying. I'm in the Word. I'm going to home groups. Uh, I'm sharing my faith. I'm doing all this stuff. But all these things keep happening to me. Whether it's the loss of a loved one or uh, some other tragedy, loss of a job, loss of a house. Things are just not working out the way that I, that I thought. Almost as if God's out to get you. Like, like, God is your enemy. And you think, no, I know God's not my enemy. But sometimes when we walk through serious trials, it's easy to think of God as our enemy, as if he's trying to punish, punish us. And sometimes we confuse punishment, uh, sorry, discipline for punishment because he disciplines the son he loves. And we know he loves us, but sometimes we'll question it when we go through difficult times. Job even questioned God's love for him and all that he went through. And if anyone knew tragedy, it was Job. And he actually came to a point in his life where he thought that God was his enemy, that God was out to get him. Because he didn't think, I, I, I know these things aren't happening to me because I did anything wrong. I've been doing everything right. And God even testified to that, saying that he was the most righteous man in the land. So sometimes when we go through these difficult times, it can appear that God's coming against us or he's out to get us. But we know through the truth of the scripture that that's simply not the case. In this text, we're going to see Joseph go through more trials as if he hadn't had enough already, right? Think about it. He's been betrayed by his brothers, almost killed by his brothers, enslaved, right? Now he works for Potiphar and then what happens? He's falsely accused. So now he's thrown into prison. It's like, Hey man, what, what's, what's God's deal with Joseph? Why is God throwing all these hardships towards Joseph? What did Joseph do that was so wrong? Yeah, maybe he had a little entitlement, but all of this? Well, what's the Lord ultimately doing with Joseph? He's testing his faith and he has a specific purpose in why he's testing his faith. See, he has a purpose and a plan, not just for Joseph's life, 
but for his whole family's life. And we know in this story, God's going to use all these things to bring salvation from the famine to Israel. But we also know when we've discussed before, but that there's a, a specific purpose for Joseph in all this testing. He's challenging Joseph to make him the man that he needs to be so that he might be the leader that's capable of bringing salvation to his family and basically taking care of all of Egypt. And that's ultimately what he ends up doing. Now, this is interesting. Joseph was 17 years old when he first got enslaved. And he's not going to be, until he becomes that leader in that position, he's going to be 30 years old. So 13 years. God walks him through 13 years of trials and testing before he makes him the leader that he's called him to be. But he's in good company when you think about it. David was 30 when he became uh, uh, the king. Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry. And there's something about this 30 thing. But Joseph specifically, he had to go through a very difficult time for these 13 years so that God could allow his plan to prevail. And all this is really summed up in the fact that God's testing him, which brings me to the title of the teaching, Tested Faith. Tested Faith. The Lord is testing Joseph's faith. Now, sometimes we can uh, walk through a trial or tribulation or a testing of the faith from the Lord. And like I said, we can assume that God's punishing us for something wrong that we did. And again, we confuse discipline and punishment sometimes. But we can rest on a specific scripture that gives us some promises in James chapter 1. Verses 2 to 4, it says this, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That word perfect in the Greek I've mentioned before is the word mature. God tests us in our faith to mature us in the faith. And that's what the Lord is doing here with Joseph. But what's so amazing about Joseph is it's almost as if he knows God's testing his faith. We can't read that in the text, but we do see how he responds. And Joseph, he passes these tests of faith with flying colors. He gives us a great example of how to walk through trials, how to walk through tribulations, how to walk through scenarios or seasons in our lives when God is doing just that, when God is testing our faith. So we're going to pull out of Genesis chapter 40. We'll go through the whole chapter. We're going to pull some practical principles from the text, looking at the example of Joseph and learning how we ought to walk through these tests of faith. In Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. Now remember, he was just falsely accused the chapter before by Potiphar's wife. He's thrown into prison. We talked about the fact, and this will come up again, uh, that, that he should have received capital punishment. 
because he was accused of adultery. And that's what uh, the punishment was in the Egyptian culture. But for some reason, Potiphar doesn't give him that. He puts him in prison. And we're going to learn something here in the first verse of Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. It says, it came to pass. Sorry, the fourth verse. We'll talk about it in a second. And it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. So the butler, he was in charge mainly with delivering the wine. He was like a, a cup bearer. That was his, his main task. And this was someone that was very close with the king because people were always trying to kill the kings. And if the, the, the butler had to be someone that was trusted so that the king wouldn't be poisoned, the baker, he baked different kinds of goods and breads and things like that. He was in charge of the food. Now, we don't know why specifically uh, the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, was offended because of the butler and the baker. It could have been that the butler gave Pharaoh a dirty wine glass, and that offended him, okay, and he put him in prison. It could have been that the baker didn't bake Pharaoh's cookies the way that he liked. They were the wrong texture. They were too crispy. We have no idea what the specific reason was why these things offended Pharaoh, but it was enough for him to throw them into prison. Look at verse 2. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, sorry, two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. So however they offended Pharaoh, it was enough for him to throw them into prison, which makes us think it probably wasn't a dirty wine glass or it probably wasn't cookies that weren't the right texture or bread that wasn't baked the way that he liked it. It was probably more severe than that. And many scholars believe that uh, quite possibly uh, Pharaoh believed that the butler or the baker were going to poison him. As we said, because both of them deal with uh, the two things, two categories of things, drinks and food that the king of Egypt would consume. So there's many that speculate, hey, uh, Pharaoh didn't know who it was, but he had some idea that either the baker or the butler was going to poison him. There was a rumor maybe that went around that. He was going to be poisoned. But again, we don't know for sure the exact reason why the baker and the butler offended Pharaoh. Now, I want to communicate something kind of on the side. In this text, um, you see some typologies. Okay, we've talked about this in the past. Uh, Joseph type of Christ, Isaac type of Christ, Abraham type of Christ, uh, and how there's these pictures in the Old Testament uh, that, that give us really a picture uh, of Jesus Christ and some things that happen. This one, it's a little questionable. I'll throw you a couple things for you to look in on your own, but if you want to study the typologies in Genesis chapter 40, I encourage you to look at it. There's some really cool stuff there. Uh, for example, we're going to see in this text that this baker and this butler, they have their dreams interpreted and ultimately uh, one is killed and the other one is saved. And some scholars will liken this to the 
two thieves on the cross where Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, he told the one that repented today, you'll be with me in paradise. And to the other one, he was he was damned. Right. So there's some some mm, loose typologies in here. Some of them are kind of cool. I'll talk about a couple of them, but that's kind of like a side note from really the focus of what I want to get at and communicate in this chapter. Genesis chapter 40, verse 4. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Do you see what it says there? And the captain of the guard. Who is the captain of the guard? Potiphar. Okay? So there's a a big reality or it's almost definite that the captain of the guard is the same captain of the guard listed here in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. It says, Potiphar was the captain of the guard. So this is, this is interesting. So now we see that the captain of the guard, likely Potiphar, has this dominion over Joseph and he entrusts these other slaves, these other prisoners to Joseph. So there's still some relationship there. And Potiphar still trusts Joseph. Wait a minute. Didn't Joseph sleep with your wife? Well, it would appear that Potiphar had an idea that that didn't really happen. And that wasn't really the case. But his hands were kind of tied when his wife communicated and accused Joseph of sleeping with her. It's like, uh, he's got to do something. Okay, so that gives us further uh, indication that that Potiphar knew and was aware that Joseph was guilt or sorry, was innocent. Genesis chapter 40, verse five. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So we see each of these men have a dream, a somewhat disturbing dream, somewhat inspiring dream. We'll look at the two dreams in a minute, but they have these dreams on the same exact night. It appears that these dreams were from the Lord. Why? Because both these dreams are interpreted by God through Joseph, and both these dreams are actually fulfilled. So he gives them these dreams, and Joseph, the next day, he looks at the baker and the butler, and he's like, something's off. They're disturbed. They're sad. And he asks them, he notices, first of all, that they are sad. Joseph saw that they were sad. He discerns, he discerns that if something is wrong with these guys that I've been, uh, in charge of taking care of, there's something wrong with them. But he didn't just notice that they're sad. He does something about it. He asks them, why do you look so sad? Verse seven. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house saying, why do you look so sad today? See, sometimes we can notice a problem with an individual. We can see that someone's walking through a difficult circumstance. They look a little gloom. Maybe they look a little angry, whatever it is. And we can look at them and say, man, something's wrong. And we walk the other way. Oh, I'm pretending like I didn't notice that. Right? 
It's like, oh, I don't want, I got my own problems to deal with. I don't want to deal with their problems. I know something's wrong, but I'm going to pretend like I didn't see that. That wasn't Joseph's heart. He saw something was wrong and he did something about it. Now think about Joseph. Gone through a lot, a lot, right? We've discussed that. In the midst of going through hardship, he's a prisoner and he shouldn't be a prisoner. He's not consumed with himself. He's thinking about others. He's pouring out to others. This is... a. Uh important principle for us to pull he didn't have that woe is me attitude he wasn't ridden with bitterness he was sincerely concerned with other people point number one when faced with misery engage in ministry when faced with misery engage in ministry He's going through some miserable circumstances, if you ask me, and he decides to not only see something that's going wrong with another individual, two individuals, as a matter of fact, but he does something about it. He ministers to them in a way. When you go through hard times, when I go through a hard time, uh, whether it's a tragedy or just I'm swamped or busy or all these different things are happening, the first person I think about is who? Me. I'm thinking about myself. Man, I need to get through this time. Like this, these, these are hard times and I just need to get through this. The, the last thing I'm thinking about is who can I help? Because my natural man is selfish. My natural man says, you just worry about yourself. But the spiritual man says, hey, look outside of yourself. There's someone else that may need help more than you do that's going through a harder time than you are. There's always someone going through a harder time than we are. Everybody has their trials. Everybody has difficult circumstances. But I guarantee you, you can always find someone, unless you're Job or Paul, that's going through something harder something more difficult and the really cool thing about scripture is scripture reveals this to us god he directs us to get outside of ourselves when we're in that misery because the reality of it is we're so miserable not just because of the circumstances but because we're thinking about ourselves all the time In Philippians, it reveals to us the book. I love this book, Philippians. It reveals to us the secret to joy. That's the main focus of the epistle to the Philippians. And we see in the book of Philippians, the word joy or rejoicing is mentioned 16 times. 16 times. That's a lot in a little epistle like that. And the word mind is mentioned 19 times. And one of the main principles, the main points of Philippians is joy is a perspective thing. Joy is a mind thing. It's your thoughts. What are you thinking about? What are you meditating on? That's why he says meditate on what is true and noble and praiseworthy and all these different things. And when is Paul saying this? When is he writing that letter? While he's in prison. He's in prison. He's not worried about himself. He's encouraging this other church and giving them the secret to joy. Meaning Paul, as he's in prison, is experiencing 
joy because the Lord was teaching him things. He was revealing things to him. And one of the main things that Paul uh, received from the Lord was the sheer fact that to experience joy, we got to get outside of ourselves. And we see an example in Philippians chapter 2 of something that Paul says. He says uh, just this in other words as he's talking about joy, as he's talking about the mind. He says this, Philippians Chapter 2, just before he goes into the mind of Christ. Verse 2, he says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the secret to joy. We know our joy comes from the Lord, but our joy also comes from being like the Lord and acting like He acted and doing what He did. And He was always concerned about other people when He was tired, when He was weary, when He was on the cross. He was praying. The Lord always focused on others. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He had joy coming because he knew he would spend eternity with us in heaven, but he also had joy in the moment because he wasn't thinking about himself. It's the secret that the Bible gives us. We're so focused on ourselves and we're wallowing in our own self-pity, we're going to be miserable. It's obvious, but we see here with Joseph, he wasn't complaining about his circumstances. He was helping other people. He was ministering to these guys that were sad because of these dreams that they had. Genesis chapter 40, verse 8. And they said to him, we each had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. See, Joseph, he is deeply concerned. He's not asking them to tell him the dreams just because he's curious. He's asking them to tell him the dreams because he's compassionate. He truly cares for these individuals that have been entrusted to him. And Joseph had received a gift from God. He says, "Does not do not interpretations belong to God? It is ultimately God who interprets the dreams, but he interprets them through Joseph. Joseph is the mouthpiece of the interpretation, which was an amazing gift that God had given Joseph, the ability to go to the Lord and receive these interpretations, to be able to interpret dreams, in other words. But this gift that God gave him, he didn't use it just for his own glory and putting himself out there. He gives credit to God, which we'll talk about in a second. But he's using this gift to build up other people. And that's really the point of gifts, specifically spiritual gifts. They're to be used to glorify God and edify the body of Christ. Second point, use your gifts to edify others. Use your gifts to edify others. He's using these things to, this ability to interpret that God's given them to, to build these guys up, 
Well, one, he kind of breaks down when we see his interpretation, but he's speaking the truth. Um, but that's the point of the, the, the gifts, and that's what I want to key on. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4, um, one of the passages that talks about spiritual gifts, we see the, the heart and the reason for the gifts, at least a piece of it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Sorry, look at verse 11, because he speaks about some of the gifts, so you can have context. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Those are uh, some of the leadership gifts in the church. And he says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, God doesn't give us gifts for us to just use for ourselves. He gives us gifts to use for his glory and to build up others. Joseph got this. There is something God gave him and he uses it to build these guys up. And again, he says, do not interpretations belong to God. Now, speaking of dreams, we have to consider the fact that Joseph already had some dreams back in Genesis chapter 37, right? When we really start focusing on Joseph, he had a couple dreams. Right about the stars and the moon and the sun, right and the wheat and all these different things about how his brothers, his family were going to bow down to him. Now this is interesting. Those dreams he had, we don't know for sure. It's not said they were from the Lord, but those things happened. So it appears that they were from the Lord. Now Joseph says again, "Do not interpretations belong to God." Joseph had those dreams. Now these guys have these dreams. And it appears that Joseph believes that these dreams are from the Lord, that the dreams that come from the Lord will be fulfilled. Now consider the dreams that Joseph had. That his family would be bowing down to him. That they would be in submission to him. That he would be leader over them. There's some indication here that Joseph believed that there are certain dreams that come from the Lord. He says God interprets dreams. So there's some indication that he believed those specific dreams were from the Lord and that God was still going to make those dreams come true because he trusted that God could interpret dreams and God gives us dreams for things that are going to happen in the future. What's the point? The point is, Joseph is trusting in God's ability despite the tragedy that he's walking it through. He's trusting in God's ability to give dreams and interpret dreams despite what he's walking through. Which brings me to the third point. Trust God despite the tragedy. Trust God despite the tragedy. Joseph's had it hard. As we've discussed and will continue to discuss because he keeps getting harder. But he chooses to trust in God. He points back to God even when he's going through a hard time. It wasn't like God uh, doesn't exist anymore or God must hate me or God whatever. No, no, no. He's pointing back to God. That points to a trust in God. Despite what we're walking through, despite how difficult it is. Our our lives become, we still need to trust in the Lord. He's good. He's faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
we see Job make a similar comment in Job chapter 13. Job chapter 13, verse 15, he says this, Though he slay me, speaking of the Lord, yet will I trust him. Look at that. Think about everything that Job walked through. When we think we walked through a difficulty, I just want you to be reminded of what Job walked through. And he says, though he slay me, he really thought the Lord was out to get him in a way. But he says, I still trust him. I don't understand what he's doing right now. I don't understand what's happening in my life right now. It's hard, but I'm still going to trust the Lord. Where else can we go, Peter said. He alone has the words to eternal life. Joseph, he still trusted God despite what he was walking through. And again, Joseph, not only does he trust God, he gives God the glory. He gives God the credit. It's not just the gift God's given him. Does not God, do not interpretations belong to God? He knows that it's about God and, and it's about his power. It's about his glory. See, when God gives us a gift, we have to give him the glory. When he gives us something to, to use, he's giving us something to use for his glory. We got to point back to God. If you have a spiritual gift that someone maybe gives you compliments on or, hey, you're really good at this, you're really good at that. Do you point the glory back to yourself? Do you take the credit for that? Or do you point it back to the Lord? Joseph, he pointed it back to the Lord. Genesis chapter 40, verse 9. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream, a vine was there, was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and it took, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So we see this dream that the butler had was all symbolism. Nothing was like straightforward. Okay, part of it was when you look at, okay, the, he, he squeezes the grapes, he's, grapes, he's brought before Pharaoh again, but there's like room for interpretation, obviously, because the God, because God needs to interpret this dream, but the Lord, he's speaking to him through this dream using symbolism which he does so often. The Lord, he's not only, he not only, he, he doesn't always communicate to us straightforward. Sometimes he does. Sometimes it's so obvious, but we see Jesus do similar things throughout the gospels. He talks to the disciples about the vine and the branches, and he's trying to teach them this deep spiritual truth about his relationship with them. We see that he speaks in parables in Matthew chapter 13, and the point of the parables was so that we would seek him and and search for understanding that he wouldn't just put it give it to us on a platter but that he would that's what that word parable means parabolo follow that he would cast it beside us so that we would seek after it he doesn't just always feed it to us and that's how he communicates to these guys in this dream he gives them a little bit to work with but they got to work with it to come to the conclusion and then god provides someone for them to be able to interpret this dream and get this spiritual truth 
a cross. In Genesis chapter 40, verse 12, And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. So this interpretation obviously comes from the Lord because there's no way to know that these three branches are three days. The three branches could have been anything. It could have been three years. It could have been three minutes. It could have been three whatever, three people. No one knows, but Joseph knew because God was revealing it to him. Picking it up in Genesis chapter 40, verse 14. But remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. I love this about Joseph. He interprets this dream. He's so confident in the interpretation that he says, remember me when this is fulfilled. Talk to me. uh, Talk to Pharaoh about me so that I can be released from prison. This is faith. This is full fledged faith. How does he know for sure that God is going to fulfill this thing exactly? Because he's trusting in the Lord and he's operating in this gift. God gives him the interpretation. He interprets what God is saying the dream is, but he has to trust not only that God is communicating to him correctly, but he also has to trust in this gift that God's given him. What's my point? It takes faith to operate in spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not saying without a shadow of a doubt that the interpretation of dreams is a spiritual gift. I'd say it appears so. We see Daniel with that as well, but it's not listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or Romans chapter 12 or Ephesians chapter 4, but it appears God gave them this spiritual ability to interpret dreams. And it's not just Joseph. Like I said, Daniel has this gift as well. But the point is he had to operate in this gift by faith it takes faith to operate in spiritual gifts see what if joseph didn't have the confidence that he'd get the right interpretation we probably wouldn't be reading this story right now but at the same goes for us it takes faith to operate in gifts is there a specific gift that god may have given you maybe it's it's service maybe it's teaching maybe it's administration maybe it's prophecy maybe it's tongues maybe it's a word of knowledge and god has told you that you have that specific gift but you've been too afraid to operate in it and you haven't used it why because you don't have the faith to use it It takes faith to use the gift. Why? Because God gives us a nudge and he says, this is a gift. I want you to operate in this thing. And and we let fear bind us from not using the gifts that God's created us to use and empowered us to use. And we'll be bound by fear. But see, you'll never know what your spiritual gifts are until you have the faith to try them out. We need the faith to try him. I believe this is from God. I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure I have the faith. And then when we walk in that faith, we operate in it. We gain confidence in it, just like Joseph. He knows that this is from the Lord. Like, that that makes me think that maybe he's done stuff like this before. Well, we know he's had dreams before. We don't say anywhere in Scripture that something like this has had happened before with him. But he's very confident in the interpretation God's given him. 
God wants us to be confident in the gifts that he's given us. He wants us to lean on him and have the faith to operate in them. Genesis chapter 40. Again, he says in verse 14, remember me. See, it appears that Joseph helped the butler and the baker out of a sincerity of heart. He, he saw that they were sad and he really wanted to help them. He didn't know what they were sad about until he asked. And then he, he helped them because he was able to interpret the dreams. But he's also wise. He's also smart. He, he's using this gift that God's given him to kind of get himself out of prison. Hey, remember me and tell Pharaoh about this thing. I was helping you out of sincerity, but definitely make sure that you say something because I've been wrongly accused. And that's what he says in verse 15. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream and there were three white baskets on my head and the uppermost basket were all kinds of baskets, uh, sorry, baked goods for Pharaoh and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So what happens? The chief baker, he hears this good interpretation, right? Oh, the butler, he's going to be good. He's going to be serving Pharaoh again. Everything's going to be great. When he heard the interpretation was good, when things were going to pan out for him, it's like, yeah, I want to hear what, what you got to say about my dream too. Thinking what? Thinking that he was going to give him a good interpretation also. He thought, oh, maybe things will pan out for me as well. He wants to hear the truth because he's assuming that it's going to be a good truth. What do you think would have happened if it was swip swapped, switched around, and it was a bad interpretation? We got the second interpretation first, and the first interpretation second, because he's going to tell him you're going to die, <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to be hung. Um, but we likely wouldn't have even heard that other imper- interpretation. Like, man, this guy's just speaking, speaking evil, and the interpretation is bad. I don't want to hear what he has to say about me. I'd rather be in the unknown than knowing I'm going to die in three days. What's my point? We love to hear the truth when it sounds good, but we don't love to hear the truth when it hurts. Fourth point, the truth hurts, but it sets you free. The truth hurts, but it sets you free. It's John chapter 8, verse 32. That's what Jesus says. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, or make you free, uh, to be exact. Now, like I said, we love to hear the truth when it sounds good, but when it hurts, eh, we don't always like to hear that truth. And that's a problem. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12 that he who hates correction is stupid. We're really dumb when we don't like to receive correction and when God or another person of God speaks hard truth into our lives, we don't always like to receive it. But would you rather believe a lie and be bound in sin or would you rather hear the truth of the scriptures that points out your sin and recognize, no, this is my way to freedom. We can believe lies and be bound to sin, or we can hear the truth and be set free. Sometimes we don't want to be set free. Sometimes we want to stay in bondage to that sin. 
but it's so ridiculous. The Bible says that we're enslaved to sin, that it has dominion over us if we let it. God, he wants to free us from that sin and the way that he frees us from the sin. Yes, it's through redemption and deliverance, but the continued progression of being delivered from sin comes through the truth that's revealed in the scriptures. When he addresses pride, when he addresses anger, when he addresses envy and all these different things, and it's like, uh, man, I'm kind of struggling with that. Lord, give me the power, the strength to overcome that thing. I would rather hear the truth and be set free than not hear the truth and be bound to sin. The baker, he wanted to hear the truth because he was expecting it to be good. Don't know if you would have if he was, if he knew what the truth was going to be. Genesis chapter 40 verse 18. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh from you. So we see the interpretation uh, doesn't really pan out for the baker, uh, maybe in the way that he thought or the way that he hoped but I love Joseph's heart in this. Joseph knows the interpretation of the dream and he still speaks it. He knows he's got bad news to speak to this man. Imagine telling somebody that God told you that they were going to die in three days. It's like, uh, God, will you tell someone else to tell him that? I don't want to tell him. I don't want to tell them that they're going to be dead in three days. It's not easy to give people bad news. It's not easy to speak the truth when you know that it's going to hurt, but we're called to. Fifth point, speak the truth in love, even if it hurts. Speak the truth in love, even if it hurts. He's not speaking from a place of condemnation or anger. Remember, he was concerned about them. He was wondering why they were sad. He was trying to help them. So he's doing this in love. But when the truth revealed to him, he doesn't hold the truth back. He speaks the truth to them, not out of anger, but out of love. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. It says just that. Speak the truth in love. See, people have different um, quotes about this verse, but... I was playing with some words and and what I wrote down, and you can write this down, truth without love is brutality and love without truth is a lie. Truth without love is brutality. When it's just all truth and it's not connected to love, it can be brutal, but love, if it's not connected to truth, is a lie. What is love without truth? The Bible defines what love is. The only way we know what love is is because the truth of the word tells us what it is. People have a lot of different beliefs about love, but they're not accurate. Because they're not connected to truth. And they confuse that word lust with love. But the Bible tells us what love is. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. And in this case, love speaks the truth. Do you tell people the truth even when it's hard? If you know something... If you watch your brother or sister in the faith or a child or whoever it may be and you're watching them backslide, you're watching them fall into sin or they've done something that you know you need to address but you're scared to address it, 
we can't allow fear to prevent us from loving people. Because loving people sometimes looks like speaking hard truth to them and saying, hey, this isn't right. You can't keep doing this thing. You're ruining your life. Uh, I, I, I want you to, 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 to be walking with the Lord and have this relationship with God and you're going this other way. But sometimes the fear, again, can prevent us from speaking the truth. Why? What are we afraid of? Well, we're afraid of people not liking us. We don't want people not to like us. So if we tell them this hard truth, if we speak this truth to them, maybe it's sharing the gospel, maybe it's correcting them in a sin, they might not talk to me anymore. They might not be my friend anymore. So you know what that is? That's not love for them. That's love for yourself. That's self-love. More concerned about preserving yourself than you are about saving a soul or delivering somebody else. And it's easy to get caught up with that. Man, I don't want to lose this friend, but what they're doing is just not right. Pray to God that he give you the boldness to speak the truth in love. Genesis chapter 40, verse 20. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all the servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. So the dreams prove true, obviously. These interpretations were given by God and they happen exactly the way Joseph said. Verse 23, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Really? Come on, dude. You're going to forget the guy that gave you the interpretation that saved your life? Really? He forgets about him. Joseph, in a, in a way, he led this man to... To, to, to be restored back to his position, back to his relationship with Pharaoh. He encouraged him along the way. What's the point? Don't forget the people who got you where you are today. Don't forget them. Sometimes we can uh, go from the really hard place to now I'm with the Lord and now things are getting better, but I live in California or I live here or I live there and we can forget the people that helped us get to the place that we are right now. And it's so important to remember those people and give them credit where credit's due. Do you reach out to maybe your first mentor, your first pastor? Does anybody reach out to Pastor Jeff anymore? I know some of you do. Chuck, right? It's like, hey, these people, they, they invested time into your life. They, they loved you. And whatever happened, whatever your personal story is, uh, I have no idea. But the truth of the matter is, you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing to, to remember the people, to not forget about them. I shoot Pastor Chet texts all the time. It's like, hey, you, you know, I, I'm grateful for what you did for me. I know it was the Lord ultimately, but God used you to get me to the place where I am today. I'm grateful for that. So I'll reach out to them. Maybe there's someone in your life. Maybe it is an old mentor or a pastor that you haven't talked to in a while. Reach out to them. Shoot them a little encouragement. Just tell them thank you. Don't be like the butler who forgot Joseph. But this is very important. 
There's a greater reason. There's a bigger thing that's happening here. God makes all things work together for good. Joseph, yes, he gets shafted once again. More hardship, more testing, betrayed, enslaved, falsely accused, imprisoned, and now forgotten. Okay, just add one more to the list. But God's got a bigger plan. He's got a bigger purpose. Yes, he's still making his man. We know there's years to come before he turns 30 years old. But he's going to also use this situation, use this circumstance for the butler to remind Pharaoh at the precise time to interpret a specific dream. If he's released from prison now, who knows what happens? Maybe he goes back to his family. Who knows? But God keeps him in prison for a specific purpose. And I believe that purpose is so that the butler will remember in due time, he'll come to Pharaoh, tell him there's a man who interprets dreams that's still here in Egypt. And he's going to use this scenario for his greater glory. If Joseph's not in Egypt, what happens to the nation of Israel? They die in a famine. He uses this to keep him there. Prison seems tough, seems difficult, but God has a greater purpose in this. See, when the Lord tests us in our faith, it's often painful. Uh, Most people don't enjoy it, right? It's not like, yes, God, thank you for testing me. Thank you for crushing my heart or doing this thing. Yeah, thank you, God. Like, we're not usually like that. That's why that verse is so, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's not that you have joy because of the trial. It's because you have joy because you know God is doing something through the trial. And what God's doing is likely far grander and far greater than anything you would have ever expected. And many of us can look back at tests, look back at trials in our life where we hated it. and We were questioning God and all these different things. And fast forward a month, a year, a decade, and we look back and we go, thank you for that. Thank you. You walked me through that. I hated it, but I thank you so much for that now. Now, maybe you're walking through a trial. Maybe you're being tested right now, and you're in that place where you're like, no, I ain't grateful about it. This is horrible. I hate what's happening now. Rest assured, God makes all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's a promise in the scripture. You might not be grateful now, but one day you will. And you'll look back and you say, oh my gosh, God. I'm glad you tested me in that time. I, I, I needed it. I'm not telling you to ask for it. I'm just telling you to, to, to be grateful. You will be grateful one day when you look back on it. And we'll see that's the case with Joseph as we continue in his story next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for, um, again, the example of Joseph and how he walked through um, his trial it, well, really. Um, he, he ministered to people. He trusted you, God. He, was, he got outside of himself. It's a difficult thing to do when we're going through hard times, but um, it's an avenue to experience joy. God, and I pray that, that if there's anyone in this room um, or you can hear my voice that's going through a tough time, that's going through a trial, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would show up for them in a tangible way. Even if you don't take them out of the trial, that you just let them know that you're in the trial with them. 
God, we, we know you work all things together for good. And we trust that you will, despite what we walk through. In Jesus' name, amen.